0: All right, I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. Welcome to Strange and Sinister, where we talk about true crime, psychology, conspiracy theories, mysteries, and all things spooky and weird. So today, we're talking about the unsolved murders of the Miyazawa family. I think I've heard of it. Okay, it's uh, more often known as the Setagaya murders because of where it takes place. Uh, It's from Japan. It's a very infamous case that took place in Tokyo. Gotcha So quick disclaimer I do not speak Japanese Sometimes I don't even speak English (laughs) And I'm not that familiar with Japanese pronunciation So if you are Japanese or speak Japanese I'm so sorry But I did study the Japanese words But I'll probably still butcher it But I'll do my best
1: That's okay I don't speak Japanese either I Respect to people who do though That's so cool I want to speak Japanese
0: uh, the beautiful Miyazawa family included Mikio and his wife Yasuko and their two children Nina and Ray. Sorry, Mikio. The father was 44 years old. He had a job at Interbrand, which was, or is, probably still is, a London based marketing firm specializing in creating corporate identity and working with major corporations like Microsoft. And this company is also credited with creating the name Wi-Fi. Oh! Yeah, they developed the name in 1999 uh, after they were hired to create the term for this new technology. Wow. Yeah, and that is only a year before our case takes place. So wow. that has absolutely nothing to do with it. I just thought it was interesting. That is interesting. And it kind of tells you, like, who Mikio worked for. Yeah. His wife, Yasuko, is again and again described as a very kind individual and compassionate mother. Honestly, like every resource I've found includes those two details about her, just how compassionate and kind she was. Uh, She spent a lot of time with her children. She was 41 years old and an at-home teacher. She did tutoring in what is known as cram school which was additional schooling and learning students did to help them perform better in school, uh, to get better test scores, and to get into better schools. And I could be wrong, but from what I understand, there's a lot of pressure on young Japanese students to do really well in school, and higher education can be quite competitive, so this kind of tutoring and schooling is very common. Gotcha. Oh. And if I say anything wrong about Japanese culture please correct me but I think like everything I'm saying uh, I found through research gotcha
1: yeah if we're ever like inaccurate about something just please tell us so we can correct it we we won't get offended (laughs) yeah I don't ever want to be like
0: misleading about a culture right Uh, So their daughter, Nina, was eight years old. She was in second grade at school, and she was doing very well. She was very smart, and she enjoyed playing the piano. She was in ballet, and she played soccer. Their son, Ray, was six years old, and I couldn't find too much about him or his interest, but in the photos, he always looked so happy. Uh, He just looked like your typical six-year-old boy. I did learn that he had a developmental experience. Disability, uh, specifically with speech, and the family was concerned about making sure that they could find a good school for Rey, a place where he wouldn't be held back from learning and he could, you know, receive the extra care and attention he needed. It was really important to Mikio and Yusuko that their son felt loved and was treated well. So the Miyazawa family was definitely your typical japanese family they were loving they were very close knit makio and yasuko adored their children and they had no known enemies i cannot really stress that enough that and that's what's so frustrating about this case is it's so senseless and it seems to be so random and it has no motive but the murders themselves are super personal wow okay So the murders took place on the evening of December 30th, 2000. Uh, The Miyazawa family lived in a district within Tokyo, Japan known as Setagaya. Mikio and Yasuko had moved into the home only 10 years before in 1991 and when they did they moved into a growing residential neighborhood with over 200 families. They lived in a I couldn't tell with the language barrier if this was a neighborhood name or a street name, but they lived in what is called Kami Soshiaga. By the time this case takes place, the city had bought out most of the neighborhood, leaving only four families living there. Wow. Uh, This neighborhood was being bought out by the city to become an expansion of the park known as Soshigaya Park. The Miyazawa family had already sold their land to the city and were planning to move out of their house in only a few months. Mikio and Yasuko had spent a lot of time searching for the right place to move with good schools for their children, especially Ray with his uh, speech disability. Their children were incredibly important to them. Uh, and the home that the Miyazawa family lived in was a duplex with three stories. So they had two regular floors and then a third like loft kind of attic floor there's a layout on our Instagram as well as photos of the home which I think will really help uh, when I'm describing what happens so if you want it it's there at Strange and Sinister yes on the other side of the duplex lived Yasuko's mother, sister and brother-in-law so in this neighborhood was only the Miyazawas Yasuko's extended family and two more families and I think that's it. That was the only four families remaining. And I think for mo- most of the 90s, Yusuko's sister and her husband had lived abroad and had left the home to their mother, Haruko. And Yusuko also ran her cram school out of that home, that other duplex, because there was just more room there. But her sister-in-law, sorry, her sister and her brother-in-law were back in Japan and living at home with Haruko when this case takes place. Gotcha. So the back of the home was immediately adjacent to a skate park. There was also a nearby baseball field. There was a river all surrounding what was left of this neighborhood. Uh, The Soshigaya Park was a pretty big park. It had a playground. It had walking trails. On the morning of December 31st, 2000, at around 10 a.m., Yusuko's elderly mother, who was named Haruko, went next door to the Miyazawa family home. She was concerned because she'd made plans with her daughter for that morning, but when she'd tried to call, the phone wasn't even ringing. So it was New Year's Eve, and celebrating the New Year's from everything I learned is pretty big deal in Japan. Like America, it's a time for celebration, a time to reflect on the previous years. Previous year. Uh, the day is known as omisaka to them and it's traditionally spent with loved ones and family so Yasuko had plans with her mother to set up for the likely family gathering they'd have uh, that evening to celebrate the New year Haruko went next door and knocked on the door and there was no answer so she went and got a key to the home and went inside and was tragically the one to discover that her daughter and family had been brutally murdered Oh, oh my gosh it's so sad Jeez. Yeah, and that has to be the most traumatic s- experience to find your family killed like that. Yeah. I can't imagine how painful that is. Uh, she found Makio first. He was dead at the bottom of the stairs on the first floor. And she had gone on to find her daughter and two grandchildren dead upstairs. The scene was violent and messy and bloody. Uh, Haruko was in complete shock And she immediately called Tokyo police And they arrived promptly on scene Horrified as well Mikio, Yusuko, and Nina Were found stabbed to death While Rei, the youngest Was found strangled Oh my god Evidence would lead investigators To believe that they'd been murdered Around 11.30pm The night before The murderer had remained in the house For several hours Ultimately, it's an unknown length of time. We really don't know how much he spent in the house, but we know he was gone by the time Haruko found her family the next morning. The killer had cut the phone line to the house. He'd entered the house by climbing the fence and a tree in the back of the house and going through a second-story window into the upstairs bathroom. Oh, my God. And I'm saying he, not by assumption, but by evidence that we'll get into later but also I would say this is a crime typically done by men yeah police while believing this is how he got into the home also know it's not an easy task but doable if done by someone smaller and physically strong because the window he had to climb through is pretty small and then we consider what he goes on to do Like, this has to be a fit, strong, like, young adult. Gotcha. So he gets himself into the upstairs bathroom, and it's believed that he first went to Ray's room and strangled him while he was sleeping. Investigators believe that Ray was the first to die because of the manner that he died by strangulation when he went on to violently stab three others. And obviously, investigators can't say with absolute certainty this is how it happened, and this is when it happened but this is the timeline they built based off all the evidence because there's a lot of evidence he left behind Uh, the kills following are bloody the house is bloody but there wasn't any blood on Ray which is another reason why it's believed he died first yeah investigators believe that Makio was awake when Ray was strangled that he was downstairs still in his clothes from the day in his office And this is also confirmed by him accessing his work computer that evening. And the office wasn't its own room. It kind of took up most of the first floor when you walked in through the front door. And it wasn't a huge house or duplex by any means. So he likely heard something upstairs and went to see what it was. And he went upstairs where he found the intruder and fought with him. He did injure the killer, but the killer had a knife. Specifically, a sashimi knife, which is a knife for preparing sushi. It's very long and thin. And the killer was able to overpower Mikio. Mikio's body was found at the bottom of the stairs on the first floor. It's believed that they fought at the top of the stairs and he fell down the stairs or was pushed. Haruko, Yasuko's mother, could only report to police that around 11.30 p.m. the night before, she'd heard a thud coming from the home. Investigators believed this was likely Mikio falling down the stairs. Mikio had suffered from many stab wounds and a part of the sashimi blade had actually broken off and was left in his skull.
1: Oh my God what
0: He was stabbed in the head he was stabbed in the neck he was stabbed all over oh uh, in the neck in the chest in the thighs in the butt. Holy um, shit. But I think it was mostly kind of focused on his upper body and his neck. Yeah. But he was stabbed in the head, too. And part of it had broken off. Jeez. And stayed in his school. And he died from bleeding out, actually, from oh, his wounds. Oh, God. After killing Mikio, the killer moved on to attack both Yasuko and Nina. They'd been sleeping in the loft on the third floor accessed only by a foldable ladder. He first stabbed them upstairs with a broken knife and there was blood on the uh, bedding so they know he started the attack there and it's believed he left them to go find another knife to use because he, he'd he been using the broken knife on them. Uh, Yusuko had gotten herself and her daughter downstairs and Yusuko had gotten bandages out and was trying to help her injured daughter. Oh. Yeah, That's kind of weird.
1: I think. I mean, I get it. But I don't know. That would not be my first response if the intruder still in my house.
0: I don't know if they knew the intruder was still in the house or thought he was leaving. Okay. I also don't know. Kind of. They may have tried to call, but obviously he cut the phone lines. So. Yeah. I don't know why her logic was. May, i don't know based off i don't know nina's injuries up to that point either if she thought hey i need to stop the bleeding like yeah let me go grab the first aid um i don't know if she checked on the family yet or gotten to that point we gotcha. just know that they'd make made it to the second level and we know that she tried to help nina because we find blood on the bandages gotcha so that's kind of all we know but i don't know what else she did during that time or if she thought the intruder had left Mm -hmm. he came back and he finished them off with another knife he'd found in the house a santoku knife which is basically one of those large cooking knives that everyone probably has in their kitchen Uh, he killed Yasuko and then Nina and they were found laying next to each other at the top of the stairs on the second floor they were found laying in the fetal position with their backs to each other Oh god. Uh, Nina was the last to die by a stab to her back which would have caused a spinal injury and was the cause of her death uh, she also had some of her teeth knocked out which oh. led investigators to believe that she was beaten by the killer god it, that's so horrible and it's strange he strangled Ray as if to spare him right you know But then he goes on. How old was Nina? Ray was six. Nina was eight. That is strange.
1: That's weird. Yes.
0: Okay. Like, you'd think after seeing Ray, like, maybe he wouldn't, you know, torture a child. But then he goes on to, like, violently kill Nina, who's eight. Uh, Yasuko and Nina definitely received the worst of it. It's said that their bodies continued to be stabbed after they were dead and that their deaths were more violent. Oh, my God. And especially Yasuko and Nina, these killings are overkill. And they're just also kind of they're really personal. Yeah. Uh, strangling and stabbing are very like personal ways to kill someone. And yeah. it's being done to an entire family in their home. And also, both the females, despite one of them being a child, received the worst of the attack. Mm -hmm. In fact, Nina did receive the worst of it. So it's possible he had something against women. It's just odd to me that he took most of it out on the child. Yeah, that is really, really weird. And you said they had no enemies, so why would it be so personal? Right? And... It, yeah so when killings are overkill and it's personal it usually gives way to the possibility that the motive was personal that the killer knew the family however the family had no known enemies and there's never been a suspect so while these murders seem personal it doesn't necessarily mean they were Yeah. and if it's not personal but these killings are this violent and extreme you consider like maybe this person is killed before like yeah. this is just like their thing their mo but there's also no evidence of that either because there was all kinds of dna left behind but it's never found a match oh and what follows is completely just mind-blowing uh the killer stayed in the house for an unknown length of time after the murders at least several hours and This is what he did based off evidence that he left. Uh, The killer used first aid to treat injuries he'd received from Mikio fighting back. Uh, Both Nina's blood and the killer's blood were found on the remaining bandages. The killer based off the stab wounds he inflicted is believed to be right handed. He'd left behind a used bandage and also bloody towels and sanitary products that he'd used to clean up his own blood. And I couldn't really find what led investigators to believe this but they think he suffered an injury on his right hand this kind of comes up based off a witness statement much later that we'll get into Okay. but it would also make sense like if he is right handed and he was attacking Mikio it would make sense that Mikio would injure him on his hand Yeah. Uh, if he was going to fight back and it was a pretty decent injury he bled a lot Uh, He drank four bottles of barley tea He ate melon And he ate several ice cream containers That he'd left empty around the house What? He ate four without a spoon He just like squeezed the bottom of the container And just ate it that way Ew Yeah Gross Why is that like why do you want to do that Right after you murdered a
1: family You're like oh (laughs) it's snack time like what
0: the fuck it's also important to note that while the killer drank tea he did not drink the soda in the fridge or pop as Emily calls it stop (laughs) making fun of me and he did not drink the beer in the fridge which okay but he drank the tea yeah he drank the tea he didn't drink there was beer in the fridge that was left and there was also soda okay which, I mean, so, like, does he not drink? Maybe he just fucks with tea, you know? Maybe. Some theories, or some theorize that this also supports the theory that he was underage, possibly, or that uh-huh. he chose not to drink so that he wouldn't be under any effects, which also ma- also makes sense.
1: Underage is an interesting theory. That makes sense.
0: This, that is a pretty big theory, and there is, like, evidence that That's possible, I guess, based off evidence, but I think the most likely scenario that he didn't drink the beer was just because he didn't want to be under the influence after he just, you know, murdered a family, but uh, he took a, he took a nap on their sofa in their living room, which was on the second floor of their home. He accessed the family computer at 1.18 a.m., but only accessed Mikio's employer website, which... I believe was just the homepage anyways. And then he accessed a theater site that Mikio had bookmarked, which he attempted to buy tickets on. And then he created a new folder on the computer. It
1: didn't put anything in it? Just a folder?
0: Nope. That's all he did. He he wasn't even on there that long either. So I don't really know. That's
1: (laughs) weird. Why? He
0: used their bathroom and he left feces in it. I Didn't mean, even flush it. Well.
1: I mean, if you're going to break into a house, kill the family, no one. But that is really strange because you think, like, I can't leave. I guess he really didn't give a fuck about leaving evidence I mean, he already behind.
0: bled all over the whole house. So, right. But it's just a very bold thing to do. That is bold.
1: Made some sort of, like, statement.
0: And... From the feces, we've learned that the previous day, the killer had eaten string beans and sesame seeds. Uh. Yeah. Uh, The killer had gone through documents of the family. Some he had laid out very organized, like cards, bank, bank statements, driver's license, passports, receipts, but then he'd also just dumped drawers of papers and documents into the bathtub and it just made a complete mess of things. He'd even left empty ice cream containers uh, in the tub, too. And m- it's weird because most of the documents would have been on the first floor in the office, and yet he took them upstairs to the second floor to just throw them in the tub. Okay. And additionally, he would dumped things in the toilet along with his feces. He'd just thrown some of the things in the toilet.
1: Did Did he, like, turn the water on in
0: the tub? Or like No, they, they just I don't think tub. so. No, I think he just threw everything in the tub. That's odd. It's weird. There's, like, this air of, like, organization to the crime. Like, he cut the phone line. He killed the family. He, like, laid out those documents. Like, he was going to organize them. But then there's also the disorganized element that he's left his DNA everywhere. He threw all that stuff in the tub, in the toilet. He left his shit in the toilet. Yeah, what? The killer had also left several, several things behind. He And he'd left these things purposely because he'd left them laying out on the couch neatly and folded. And this is like what he's intentionally leaving behind, which is also just weird. Like this is a choice he made to do. Yeah. What,
1: what did he leave?
0: Uh, so he left behind clothes and these are the clothes that he'd been wearing and taken off after killing them there was clothing missing from the home so we don't know if he was the one to take it or if he'd brought additional clothes and left wearing those I highly doubt he left naked but um he left a white sweatshirt with dark purple sleeves uh, folded neatly on the couch it was a size large was cotton it had a blood stain on it This specific sweatshirt was manufactured in August of that year, and only 130 units had been sold in Japan at that point. Uh, Police were only able to track down 12 of the people who had purchased the sweater, but they were able to clear them. He'd left a jacket manufactured by Uniculo. It was their AirTech jumper in black, size large. This jacket can't really help narrow down a suspect uh, because it was sold out uh, months before, in October of 2000, 82,000 of these jackets were sold, and they were sold online too, and about 10,000 were sold within Tokyo. Uh, in the pockets of the jacket, they found traces of sand that is presumed to have either come from Mobori Beach, Kitashitara Beach, or Mira Beach, which are all within Japan, and they also found of a bako willow which is a type of tree that grows near water. Uh, he left a pair of black leather gloves which over 10,000 had been sold. He left a pretty worn out scarf which was a plaid pattern uh, mostly green but it had red black orange and dark blue and this scarf is believed to have been given as a prize in arcades and also possibly sold in what are called 100 yen stores which are Japanese stores that sell discounted items. So kind of like a Dollar Tree or like a five and below kind of deal. He left a gray knitted wool hat that has a black line detail that goes around it, which Tokyo police described as a crusher hat. It kind of looks like a bucket hat to me or something. And this hat was sold 3,500 times between 1998 and 2000. He left behind a hip bag Which is, it's kind of like a fanny pack. Uh, It was dark green in color and pretty worn out. Investigators believe he'd owned and used this bag for several years. And 2,850 of these had been purchased in Osaka, Japan, and have been sold throughout Japan. And this bag has a lot of uh, evidence on it, actually. Uh, They found an ingredient that is a detergent that is specifically not used in Japan. There was two pieces of hair in the bag, one about uh, two and a half centimeters long, and the other about a centimeter and a half, and these were either black or dark brown in color. Uh, the longer piece was cut on one end, and the smaller piece was cut on both ends by something like hair clippers, so they weren't pulled, or they hadn't fallen out. They'd been cut Weird. out of his hair. Okay, okay. And, like, you can't get DNA from the hair unless you have, you know, the follicle. Yeah. But, um, it's, like, assumed that this hair belongs to the killer, but...
1: That is so bold.
0: What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They also found sand in the bag. They examined the sand and traced it back to the Nevada desert in California in the United States. And it could also be traced to Edwards Air Force Base in California. Which has led to a lot of theories that he could be in the military. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, That's interesting. That
1: kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, there's also theories that this killer could have been tied to skateboarding uh, as they found trace materials in the bag that is believed to be skateboarding grip tape. Oh. As well as the fact that California is a huge Skate, place yeah. for skateboarding, that's kind of circumstantial. And so were some of the beaches in Japan that the other so- sand in his other jack in his jacket were found. Um, I guess some of those beaches had like skateboarding ties. That's all kind of circumstantial, but it's weird. That is <laughs> that's just so fucking weird,
1: okay. yeah. I don't even know what to make of it.
0: I know, right? They've also found various traces of chemicals and ingredients on his clothing that just are widely used, so they couldn't really trace to one thing. But in 2018, they did identify one of the substances found on the hip bag as being from a highlighter, uh, which led to newer theories that he was very young or possibly still in school, or he had used the hip bag while he was in school. Uh, The killer is believed to be around 5'5 or 5'6, very thin, small, and physically fit. They believe he is right-handed, that he is between the ages of 15 and 35, or was at the time of the murders. Uh, That's a big age range. It is. Yeah. They just- I mean, you can't narrow it. That's all they can narrow it down to, and it's pretty much just based off what he was able to do physically by like climbing the house and getting through. Yeah. Like, they figure he has to be small or young and, you know, physically able. More kind of recent stuff has led investigators to think that he could be between 15 and 20 years old, Mm -hmm. which is extremely young. But uh, this is because of what he wore. The style of it was very much of being someone in high school or, like, university. Yeah. Um, Also, the fact that There was like a highlighter on him there's all these like ties to skateboarding possibly yeah um has kind of led investigators to believe that he could be between 15 and 20 or was so yeah all these items were intentionally laid out by the killer which is so odd it is like a catch me if you can you know kind of scenario however this isn't all that the killer left behind investigators identified the shoes he was wearing based off of footprints he'd left uh his shoes are a british brand known as Slazinger, i guess i don't know how to say that uh forty four thousand five hundred and thirty pairs of these shoes were sold by korean manufacturer and these shoes were sold only in south korea and could not be determined to be sold in japan so He'd either gone and purchased these in South Korea himself, or he'd bought them through like an independent seller or something.
1: Yeah. Okay. Were they like available online or something? Or
0: I don't know. It didn't doesn't sound like it, but I guess it's possible. I don't think they were like sold widely online. Okay, gotcha. You know? Yeah. I think they were just sold in Korea, South Korea. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. There's like a language barrier, but I'm pretty sure. The killer also left behind two handkerchiefs. These were found on the second floor near the top of the stairs in the kitchen. Uh, One of these handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs had a cut in the center, and it's believed it was used in the killing. It's believed this handkerchief was wrapped around the knife to provide the killer with a firmer grip of the knife and prevent it slipping. And the other handkerchief was folded in a triangle... And it's thought maybe it was worn by the killer as like a mask or a bandana. Uh, they did find traces of perfume on the handkerchiefs and the hip bag, and this perfume had been sold in Japan for many decades. It was a very common, like easily obtainable. It was Guy La Roche, Drakar Noir. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, it's also actually a perfume or clone that's been tied to skateboarders because it <laughs> okay. was used and promoted by a professional skateboarder in the 80s. Oh. Alright. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the killer had left uh, his fingerprints everywhere as well. He left both the murder weapons at the house. It still had blood. Like, they still had blood on them when they were found. Uh, 200,000 yen was missing from the home. Which is, I looked it up because that sounds like a lot, Uh, but it's equivalent to about $1,600. Oh. At least in today's money. Yeah. Uh, And this was the equivalent of the tuition of Yasuko's cram school. And it's believed to have been taken from a wallet, but other things had been left in. And he'd also left behind 60,000 yen that was sitting in an envelope pretty out in the open on the bookshelf. Huh. A sweatshirt of Makio was missing from the home. It's not sure if the killer took this, but it's possible. And considering he left all his clothes, maybe he took this sweatshirt to wear. I don't know. Uh, but this shirt, I couldn't find an image of it, but... The description of it is that it has a fish pattern and the words dive on the fret and on the back it has like the English alphabet on it, A to Z. That's kind of sick. Right? Well, maybe. I don't know. I was reading a Japanese article and translating it to English, but that's what I think. But maybe it wasn't Japanese. But
1: that sounds like a cool sweatshirt to put
0: on it. Yeah. Uh the killer has type A blood. And an analysis of this blood confirmed that the killer is male and is possibly of mixed race. Maternal DNA suggests European descent and that his mother may have been at least genetically from the Mediterranean or the Adriatic Sea. And his paternal DNA suggested that his father was of East Asian descent. So Korean or Chinese or Japanese. But... This information doesn't necessarily tell us who his parents are. It really just explains his lineage. So it could really only narrow down a suspect if they ever had one. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to include a few more things that were kind of suspicious that happened. Uh, Yasuko had spoken to her father-in-law just days earlier on Christmas Day. And she'd mentioned to him that she would noticed cars parked outside their home that she'd never seen before. In addition, various witnesses would bring forward their stories of what they saw around the time of the murders uh, in that area. Three days before the murders, on December 27th, a man who was described as being in his mid-40s was seen outside the home watching the house. Ew. Yeah. Ew. On the 29th of December, so one day before the murders, A man was spotted one and a half kilometers away from the home at a train station, described as wearing a very similar outfit to what was left at the crime. And the woman who had seen this man had made such a note of it because she thought it was very odd that he was so underdressed for December. And witnesses also placed a young man matching the description of the clothes found at the crime scene around the Miyazawa home in the hours leading up to the murder. The sashimi knife that the the killer had brought with them, they tracked the purchases of this knife and had found that the product had been sold in the area in the months leading up to the murder. Two were sold on the 29th of December at the location of the train station I talked about earlier where the witness saw that guy. The knife had also been sold at various other places in the days leading up to the murder. On the... 31st of december so the day that the bodies were discovered the day after the killings uh at 5 26 p.m a man had received medical attention at the tobu station sorry tobu station which would have been around a three three and a half hour train ride away from setagaya And this man had a deep injury to his right hand, so deep that it exposed his bone. And he was described to be in his late 30s, about 175 centimeters tall, which is about 5'8", 5'9". He was wearing a black jacket and jeans and didn't share any information on what happened to him. And this man received medical attention and he left after and was never seen again. Oh. Oh. boy yeah it's wild with all this evidence that we do not know to this day who this guy was uh this was the largest investigation in japanese history this case has involved over 246,044 investigators which is astounding i can't even like that's that's a lot of people yeah and Over 12,545 pieces of evidence have been collected in connection to this case. Wow. Which is another, like, unfathomable number. And when it's involving, like, a crime and it still hasn't given you the answers or found the person... It's wild, and I couldn't, like, there's obviously, with all that evidence, there's a lot more to this case that I did not even include in this episode. Yeah. Like, this episode could have been, like, 10 hours long, but, so, there are still police today assigned to this case. It's certainly one that's not cold, but it's the scariest kind of case, because it's been 23 years, and- yeah. It's not been solved. And we don't know if whoever did this never committed a crime again and that's why he hasn't been caught or if they just haven't connected, you Yeah, because he could have just fled, I guess, to another country and I don't know.
1: Yeah, especially because he has American ties. Like... That too. I don't know how easily we would be able to connect something that happens in america to a crime that happened in japan like over 20 years ago
0: yeah that's scary yes and like this happened in 2000 he's presumed to be between the ages of 15 and 35 that means he's still pretty young now yeah oh no yeah i don't know i don't even know what i like believe about the case. I almost think he it's like my own theory. I don't think the family knew the killer. I don't think the killer knew the family. I think he just kind of picked them and I think he's probably committed other crimes and it just hasn't connected. Yeah. That's
1: insane that no. out of all of that like DNA evidence that they can't connect it. Like there's no match,
0: right? And I'm also just like how much like he left all these things behind and I'm like, how purposeful was it? You know, like. Is it is it kind of like a catch me if you can kind of scenario where he's really like trying to fool the investigators? Did he like plant evidence like to throw things off or.
1: I mean, that would be like kind of one of the only reasons to leave.
0: But all of that stuff there even so he still left all his DNA there and it still hasn't been matched and it's been you know ran through so many like different things like it's been tested so many times that DNA and it still hasn't like come up with any answers wow yeah
1: that's so terrifying
0: it is and that poor family
1: oh yeah
0: I don't know that's kind of all I have for that case
1: that's okay wow that's i've never heard that case before really yeah no
0: no it's like japan's like
1: biggest unsolved Unsolved. case it reminds me of a lot a lot of uh jean Bonnet. i don't know why but it gives me jean vibes. really
0: interesting why um
1: i mean unknown intruder okay yeah coming in and Killing someone in the house.
0: Plus, I mean, Jean-Benet is a young girl. Yeah. He focused
1: particularly on
0: Nina for some reason. Yeah. Which is scary and and gross.
1: Dude, I've been wanting to cover Jean-Benet for so long. Um, it would just be like
0: a massive that is case to tackle. True. Yeah. There's definitely a few like big cases I do want to cover eventually but yeah they just right it's a lot of work and we have not
1: talked about Idaho no um which I mean part of it is because it was just so new and there wasn't really like updates and like I'm not trying to spread misinformation
0: right yeah um Me and Emily talk about it nonstop. Oh, yeah. This is the case we've been talking about while, you know, we've been working on our own episodes. Oh, yeah. This is the one we like chat about when we're making coffee.
1: Oh, all the time. Every morning. We're like, oh, my gosh. Did you hear that? There's updates every day on this case. It's
0: crazy. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We talk about it literally every day, but we haven't talked about it on the pod
0: for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, it's a big high profile case in America right now. There's obviously just a lot of misinformation that can easily just be pushed by media. Right. And
1: I think a lot of that already had like it already showcased all the min- misinformation. Yes. Um, Just because the cops had Brian. Yeah, like a couple weeks. People after, were like kind of
0: shitting on the cops, like, oh yeah, like they weren't doing their job. But the whole time they knew who he was. They were just, you know,
1: keeping it real close, re- keeping to the it chest. real
0: close, which it's what they had to do, and exactly. that's how they got it done. But
1: so, I mean, that already showcased how much misinformation yes. can just spread yeah. from talking about like really recent new cases on things like podcasts. Yeah. So, it's never our intention to spread misinformation. So, that's part of the reason why we haven't talked about it. No. Also, because it's still developing. Yeah. Um The second that we talk about something, like, the day after, there would be an update. So, I, I feel like there's really no point. Um, no. Yeah. Until the whole thing is kind of seen through. Yeah. And then it- we can yes do the we could talk about the facts really because a lot of the case was speculation for the longest and we're here to spill the factual tea the factual tea not the speculation tea so truth also part of the reason why we haven't talked about it yes but um we do give like some updates on our instagram
0: yeah any kind of big case in the media we kind of We'll share on our Instagram if we, you know, feel it's a good source, too, if we're, like, sharing links or anything, you know.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, that's just part of the reason why we haven't talked about that.
0: Yeah, but, you know, if you have any, if you want to talk about it with anyone, we're here on the Instagram. You can chat with us about the Idaho murders. Yeah, Uh,
1: we will talk about it. Absolutely. If you want to. DM us or something. But yeah, wow, that was a crazy case.
0: Yeah, it was. Very sad and crazy case that I hope gets solved one day. I just have this hope that some family member of this guy will like put their DNA in a 23andMe and it'll match or something. That's That's my hope.
1: Me too. I mean, that's how a lot of cases are being solved, is just family members are doing 23 and me and ancestry or whatever you got spit in a tube or whatever and they're connecting it right through like just you could be like a f- distant 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 cousin and they could be like oh it's yes. in your family so we we know it's there once they I really hope figure that out they just grab some of your trash and they match it it's insane how they do it that's how they caught like the golden state killer true yes it's crazy it's amazing it's really awesome yeah anyway well
0: yeah <laughs> thanks for tuning in thanks. go follow us on our instagram at strange yeah. and sinister uh, and i think that's it no other <gasps> updates
1: i don't think so
0: okay all well, right uh stay safe stay strange and we'll see you in the next one
1: bye bye